Welcome to Squad, the leadership and high performance podcast that aims to help you change your game through inspirational stories and insights from some of the most fascinating people around. From business leaders to Olympic gold medalists, we're here to prove that by reimagining your mindset, anything is possible. This is Squad. Let's change the game. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by a leadership and performance coach who I've admired since hearing him speak at an event I produced back in 2019. A former professional and international inline hockey player and Team GB head coach, today's guest is also an author, a public speaker and a businessman and a serious exponent of well-being and positive mindset both recreationally and commercially. His first gig in recruitment was with S3 and he's been a well-known protagonist within the profession ever since. He's also the founder of Team Head Coach and the man behind the Four Keys Method. Now listeners, within the first five minutes or so there are a couple of technical glitches and provisioning around about four or five seconds of pause so when you hit that just bear with it and um it will continue uh, without glitches thereafter and um, so without further ado uh, please welcome to the squad podcast mr andrew silito hi andrew how are you doing i'm very well simon how are you well, yeah, I'm not too bad, apart from sounding a little bit like Marge Simpson. Um, yeah, or Barry White. You could go with Barry White, you know. Go Barry White. <laughs> that, that might be better for the ladies, yeah, I guess. Um, yeah, yeah. Aside from that, a little bit under the weather, but apart from that, I'm feeling quite chipper. Um, but Good. That, Good that's man. your general disposition, isn't it? It is. You know what's funny you say that, because I was thinking about different stories in my life, and I, I actually had that on my CV, that, that uh, my first CV ever, uh, when I left school, it said it said has a happy disposition <laughs> so it's kind of stuck with me in fact my nickname smiley growing up like it no one knows that really but i was i was called smiley i still am all my friends still call me smiley really? so yeah 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 i try my best although i think there's a bit of an irony as i've got older <laughs> yeah anyway trying to trying to keep it up well you're uh, you're over in prague now aren't you uh, yeah how, how long yeah. have you been there in prague. so we moved here in december 2019 so just about three months before the pandemic kicked in, which was a bit of a nightmare because I'd, I'd convinced my mother that having taken the grandchildren out of the country and, you know, that we'll be back every month, I'll be back every month and or we'll be back for the summer and spend the whole summer here. And and uh, yeah, in fact, she, she made a trip out, um, bless her. <laughs> so she, which was great. Um, but that's yeah, the only time we've seen her really in the whole the, the pandemic. So, and my daughter's been out, my oldest daughter. Yeah. How's your timing? <laughs> I know exactly just worse timing but there we are you know happens it does indeed well, look um <clears throat> thank you and welcome to uh to, to the squad podcast um as my me. as my introduction said I've been an admirer of yours ever since we first met at an event um crikey it was a couple of years ago now um yeah time, it would have been wouldn't it yeah time has massively flown for those of the listening and, and and what have you that don't know who you are an introduction to yourself which you are better than i'll ever be able to do i'm sure uh, would be wonderful so tell us tell us sort of you know how your journey began and, and what you're up to now so i'm a business psychologist former international athlete and coach and uh author of the four keys and, and managed to miss a couple of books and my area of focus is i suppose it's changed a little bit actually because i was always in leadership development when i left the corporate world i i my, i left school at 16 right so i you know was out working 
um, quite early on in my, you know, as a youngster and then, but also quite entrepreneurial. You know, I noticed that there was a, a bit of an entrepreneurial flair, if you like. I was always looking at opportunities and, uh, but I was also devoted to my hockey, which was in those days we were calling it street hockey. And then street hockey evolved and it, it got quite professional and there were opportunities in the 90s to pursue it as a career in some way. But the career really became more coaching and running hockey camps and summer camps. And I built a, um, a summer camp business, you know, residential camp uh, over a five year period um, and had an amazing time. You know, we were doing making, well, we weren't making any money. We were turning over a lot of money, <laughs> but I was bringing in friends from Canada and, you know, because I'd lived in Canada for a year. So I'd bring in coaches from all over the world and, and we would run these camps for five weeks, we'd, you know, and, and we'd party on the weekends and just have a... An amazing time. I mean, we were like, what were we then? 24, 25 by then. And uh, so it was great. And then you had to kind of the, the circuit of tournaments. So I was just hopping around. So any money that I made, I was usually ended up spent on touring and, and that kind of thing. So great time in my 20s. And I got to about 27, 28. And I thought, well, maybe I need to get a proper job. I'd never worn a suit before. I'd worked in the ski industry for five years. I mean, I, I just did in, in that industry, you know, snow sports, ski, you know, it was a great time. Uh, and then I, I, I went to a recruitment agency and they, they said, what about yellow pages? You, you know, would that be of interest? I was like, I, I just, I was so apathetic about it. I was just like, <laughs> yeah, sure. This is like the worst thing I'm ever doing in my life. So let's just get through it, you know. And, and I remember the inter yeah probably and uh, I ended up having five really good years there you know I, I had a, a I mean I, I kind of hit the ground running I became a top performer uh, in field sales and worked my way up into a management role and and really kind of just learn sales and leadership and you know it was just a I mean Yellow Pay it was just a brilliant company to work for it was just great and so I did that and then a friend of mine from school primary school he um he just got in touch on it was on facebook when facebook was quite a novelty so that would have been about 2007 and he said what are you up to and i said well i'm working at yellow pages and uh i said i said i've, I've just done this hypnotherapy uh, diploma where i thought i might start working with athletes and, and coaching athletes and he said that's interesting you should come and see me and anyway long and short of it was he was a coo of, of a company called blue sky performance improvement which was a really nice boutique consultancy and invited me we met and then he said, look, you really should come for an interview, you know, with your sports background and the time at Yellow Pages and all the things you've done with, uh, you know, the hockey and everything else. He said, he said, just come and give us a presentation. And first of all, he asked me to meet with this <clears throat> leadership coach. who was like a high, big hit, kind of hitting leadership coach. And she, she kind of had just asked me these questions. And it were, there were questions like, so how would you define your values? I was like... <laughs> I just don't know. And I could feel myself sinking. It was in Gatwick. We just met in Gatwick in this hotel in Gatwick. And I could feel myself just sinking into this chair where I, I knew nothing. Like it was a different world of these kind of conversations and uh, personal development. And, and anyway, so I, that bombed. And he, my friend phoned me up. He said, what happened? You know, something didn't go right. He said, and I said, no, it was terrible, terrible experience. And uh, he said, look, I, I really, I really believe, I really think you've got something there. And he, he said, can you come in and 
Just give us a presentation. Just talk about what you believe the parallels are between sports and business. And, and this has been talked a lot about in the corporate world. You know, one, I think one of the reasons I got the job is because they like my sports background and playing for Great Britain and, you know, coming in and talking about these things. But I never really saw the connection, if I'm honest. I, I just thought there's a big difference between loving playing sports and being in a rink and in that locker room versus wearing a suit and turning up to work every day. I mean, I, they just seem like worlds apart to me in a way. Um, Sorry, just uh, it froze there for a moment. Um, so I don't know much of that you heard. But uh, so anyway, I, I um, presented, I Googled this, I Googled synergy between sports and business. That was the first thing I did and got some ideas, some inspiration. I went in, I gave this presentation. I'd learned something um, on my hypnotherapy course around anchoring this NLP technique where you put your finger and thumb together and think of a positive affirmation and, or a positive experience an anchor, so I thought I'm going to do that. I'm going to I'm going to get one of the people in the to show that I could present. So that was a bit risky, but it it, it played out, and um, they loved it, and they they offered me a job, and uh, I I took a well, it must have been probably a sixty percent pay cut, if I'm honest, because I, I thought no, this is this is my direction. This is where I'm going now. This is this performance coaching world. I've I've always been interested in that world and coaching and working in in this industry. And um, first job, I got sent out to Turkey and uh, Greece and going out and running these big conferences and speaking. And it was a completely new world. And it just gave me the grounding for, kind of, I guess, where I am now. I started by myself in 2008. I started a business working with traders when I, when I um, 2009. And, and then I got approached by Huxley to say, look, uh, I don't know how. I must have been on their list before. And I ended up having a conversation with Andy Simpson at uh, interview. And he was, at, he was at Huxley then. And he was, I think he knew much, as much about this role as I did, you know, in the fact that we, we, we were trying, it, it was a leadership development role. He, he was trying to draw it all out for me and help me understand the thing. And then, you know, the whole picture of the job. And he said, you know what, just, just go in, <laughs> just tell him what you do and what you're about. And I had eight, I think I had eight interviews at S3 before I got the job yeah so yeah it was uh and so i was there for two and a half years heading up their leadership development that was and it was great i i, I absolutely i have to say this obviously but i generally um love my time at s3 yeah and, and you know of, of all the organizations and the businesses in our in, in the recruitment center <clears throat> um i would suggest that s3 is is one of the more renowned um and renowned for lots of different reasons but i don't think there's many yeah, that i've ever met that have, have come out of S3 without anything other than, at the very least, what a blast that was. Um, yeah. and whatever, that <laughs> might, whatever that might look like. Yeah, yeah. And it, and it kind of comes on to my first question, really. It also, though, has produced, arguably, some of the best performers in the recruitment yep. profession, um, from no doubt, in part, due to your to your coaching, but having worked in an elite sporting environment and what you could argue is also an elite, you know, commercial environment within recruitment, what are the similarities? What, what does high performance mean to you? I think it's a good question because, you know, you, you can get quite elitist about that question. You know, that unless you're competing at the top and you're top 20%, you're not at high performance, but you know, I've seen some very motivated Sunday league football teams, you know, who would 
consider themselves, you know, they take it very professionally. They're serious about it. They, they, they got the, the cup final to look forward to. They've, you know, so I think high performance can operate at any level. Uh, I think it's around personal ownership, accountability, and, and choosing, choosing that, you know, to be the, the, the best you can. I know it sounds a bit cliche and a bit fluffy, but, but choosing to be the very best you can be in that particular moment. Yeah, that, that's it, you know, and, and whether that's, I'm going to be the very best Sunday league football player or, or I'm, you know, when I play for England in the World Cup, I'm going to, t- I'm going to do everything I can, you know, for my training, for my nutrition, for my preparation to, to, to give it the, the very best. So, so in business, it's the same, you know, whether you, whatever role you're in, you know, um, I just think there are different roles where you can probably get away with being a little bit under par, you know, and, you know, brain surgery, for example, you don't, you don't really want a brain surgeon who's, who's saying, you know, well, I smashed it. I was out all night last night, but I was in at 8.30 this morning. I tell you, you know, I was at my desk at 8.30. You, you know, you're probably going to find a different brain surgeon. You know what I mean? You're not going to hold that. Whereas in recruit, you might go, yeah, man, that's, that's awesome. Well done. You know, you, you, you turned up. And um, although I think that world's changing, I think, I think what we're seeing in business now is, and we've seen it in sports, over the last 20 years, which is, you know, you, to have a competitive advantage, you, you've got to look after your health. You've got to look after all the things that happen outside of work if you want to show up in the, in the best possible way. And I noticed that when I was at S3, you know, that I remember one of the leaders saying, he said, you know what, there used to be a time when we started drinking on a Wednesday and it was brilliant, you know, and it was great. And he said, now people, they're not coming for drinks and beers, they're coming in with whey protein, you know, and, you know, it was a kind of a different, and it made me laugh. And that was back in, 2010 so I think that 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 landscape was starting to shift even then that people were taking more care of themselves or you know maybe it was a, a kind of an aesthetics reason for it but 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 I think even that's evolved into no I want you know maybe I'm going to take a tactical break from drinking you know like people in my mastermind we we take a, we I mean I don't drink now a lot of the people that are in there that have spent their life you know lunches and, and it was all part of the job and now saying I don't know if I'll drink ever again because I'm just so much more productive. I feel so better. And if I'm, you know, bearing in mind, most people in my mastermind are probably middle-aged. They're, they're running a business and they've got the next 10 year window to create something really special, create and have an exit and with no regrets, right? So, you know, they want, they want to be at peak performance. But so, and they're recognizing that by making these changes in their life, by having a good morning routine, by showing up as best they can, in their relationships by um, you know, do, doing things that develop their mindset mean that the business takes care of itself because they turn up as the best version of themselves. Um, and, I, and I've done, I've done enough work in sports, for example, to see the opposite of that, you know, really talented athletes, you know, frustratingly um, don't, don't take it seriously enough. You know, there's some, something's just not triggered in them that to, and I, and I was the other end of this because I was very professional. I knew when to enjoy myself and, and go and party, but I was very conscientious about it. I, I was in some ways too professional because it, it restricted my, my freedom, if you like, and my, the playfulness of the game. And, um, and so I talk about that a lot. But So I think that those are the connections for me. It doesn't matter what level you're at, you've got an opportunity to play at the highest, your highest level, whatever that means for you. Um, you know, running your fastest race, playing to your strengths, having a clear purpose uh, as to what you really want to 
do in the world. So in sports, it's how do I serve the players in the locker room? How do I serve the, you know, the sport as best I can rather than myself? And business is no different. You, you have to serve the people. And if you can serve the people in the best possible way, guess what? You're probably going to make money, you know? But if you, if you go out to make money, there's a good chance you might not serve the people in the best possible way. And then so there's this short-term fix. Um, so there's a bit of a ramble there around it, but I think for me, it, it's a choice. And it's just saying, what does being the best really look like? No, no, for me, no more, no less. In this kind of area that I'm in. I think um, the two words combined that you had amongst that that I've really that got my ears pricked was no regrets. And it's kind mm. of like a really nice freight for show up, be the best you can be, be the best version yeah. of what you're able to achieve. And of course, then it does become completely relevant um, to whatever it is you're trying to do, because you're right. A lot of people think that high performance is for the elitists. It's for those, it's the professionals in every regard of yeah. you know, the Premier League or the, the NBA or whatever that might look like. But yeah. it's actually subjective. High performance is subjective. And if you look at it like, no, just whatever it is at the end of it, just know that you did everything the best you can and there are no regrets. I think that's a really nice encompassing way of, of looking. I think so. You know, people say you should never have regrets, but I have loads of regrets. You know, when people say that to me, I say, I've got things <laughs> I wish I'd never done before. And, I, and they're, they're learning experiences, of course. Um, but I would love to get, you know, to the next 10 years and look back and go, yeah, I, I didn't, I didn't make any mistakes there. And, and not mistakes, no, of course I make mistakes. I mean, like I didn't, um, I didn't get lazy or I, I didn't do things that were working against me or self-sabotage or, you know, I dealt with those things. So if I was, if I'm experiencing imposter syndrome today, or if I'm experiencing a skill shortage or, or something or some kind of mindset problem, I'm dealing with it. I'm not going to let that stop me. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to find a way around this and, and keep moving forward towards my goal. And that, that's why the purpose is so important because if you don't have that guiding light, then, you know, what are you, what are you doing? And I think um, that word, you know, purpose and purposeful, we use a lot now. Um, and certainly it's, a, it's something that I've been using um, more prevalently than, than ever before. Um, and I guess the, the, the pandemic has really heightened that and it's accentuated what that actually means. Because many of us, if not all, have experienced some challenge or some adversity over that period of time. And, and, and the purpose that you may have had could easily have seen you through and potentially not even just you know surviving it but thriving through it so how has the experience of 2020 and the pandemic made you feel it's an interesting question i don't think anyone's asked me how it made me feel um i think there are a number of words you could use like a bit confused a bit angry um optimistic in the same conversation you know like it inspired me in some ways and I think um so you know anybody that's got an in-person coaching business you know leadership coaching business or is a speaker you know where you kind of rely on being in front of an audience and you know would have would have really struggled of course we all try to move things online and but at the same time I uh, I think I've always been one of those I think of different types of leaders and, and I think I'm probably thrive under under pressure or in, in crisis. I've always been that kind of 
if, if there's a big enough problem, it's going to get me excited and I can turn it around. I can figure out how to, if, if it's all kind of, if you want me to take on a team and just keep them consistent for the next two years, I'm going to get bored, you know? So with Team GB, you know, we needed to be relegated from Pool B. Locker room was toxic. There were really bad things going on behaviorally. And so I was like, yeah, I can, I can deal with, I can turn that around, you know? So when the crisis kicked in, I was like, okay, um, I'd done, I felt like I'd done a lot of self-work up until that point that where I didn't panic or stress about it. I just thought, right, just keep some clarity. And what I will do is I'll show up every day for 90 days and offer help, you know, to, to people, you know, just kind of put it out there with, with no agenda. And, um, and I, and I, I put an, uh, an audio out, you know, explaining this to people, just don't worry about this. It's just, Get out there and coach your clients. Be there for them. If there's, you can empathise with everybody on the planet right now. Just get out there and have conversations. Uh, keep showing up, and um, and I think the people that did that, it, it, it's paid dividends for them beyond COVID, and, and will do in the future. I think you know those that that made sure they were were there. So so mixed feelings around the whole thing. It's been a roller coaster ride. Um, I, I was I'd spoken to a few people about how long it would last. So I was pretty, uh, I guess, bearish about the kind of the whole thing. And I, I didn't think it was coming out of it until September, October. In fact, I put it on, on LinkedIn. Someone said, how long is this going to last? Is it going to be two weeks, four weeks or six weeks? And, uh, and, and then someone said, well, could it, could it be August? And I was like, no, this is not going to, this is going to be gone for the rest of the year. And I, I put that on LinkedIn. It was only because I had spoken to someone about it who was kind of knew, understood this. And, uh, but I didn't anticipate it then going to another wave and another wave. Um, I mean, someone did say to me at the time, it's probably going to be 2022 before we get to some normality. But I think we are starting to see that sooner, you know, with the vaccine and everything else. So I'm, I'm really optimistic about it now. And, and I've, like a lot of people, I've had a really good experience from having that space, that clarity to reevaluate my business, to think of it in a different way, to, to really understand what my clients need and work backwards from that. And off the back of it, we've got a far more robust business than than I did going into COVID. Yeah, and and that word, you know, robust or resilience. Um, again, I mean, some people use that word now like it's a badge of honour, and I think you have to be very careful um, how far mm. you you take that. But what I'd quite like to do is take you back to the locker room in that environment where. You had a team of presumably underperformers if you were about to get relegated from, you know, from from Group B or Pool B. Mm-hmm. Um, what was it that you that you took into that locker room to completely change that around um, that has served you now that you can, you know, advice for the future, if mm-hmm. you like? So initially, I, I didn't get it right at all. You know, I, I went in very didactic, actually. So I was surprised at myself when I reflected on it because I was, I'd been in the coaching and leadership field for a good five, six years then. So I, you know, I knew all the theory and, and I practiced it in, with my teams. But, but in that environment where I all of a sudden felt this pressure that I had to have the answers, that I was the head coach and I had to turn this thing around. And the, the handover from the previous coach was a brilliant coach. Now we've had some really great coaches. Um, he said to me that he thought the players had got complacent, that they just expected to make the team, you know, the core kind of a high-performing players, if you like. So I'd found this uh, poem 
which was called No Man is Indispensable. I don't know if you know it, but it basically it says you're, you're indispensable. You know, you're not indispensable. I mean, and um, just because you made the team last year doesn't mean you're going to make the team this year. Read this, read this poem, which, of course, they all just thought, what a what a joke. You know, you know, this is nonsense. What an idiot. You know, and I, and I, I put a message out saying that, you know, I'm picking players on, on mindset and behavior. I don't care how good you are. So again, the, the, all the elite players were like, well, then we're going to be surrounded by a load of numpties that can't play the game because you think, it, you know, and that wasn't my point at all. What my point was, was that I was going to, if I had a player that was a five out of five for, for talent, but a, a, a two and a half or a three out of five for how they would fit into the dressing room or their behavior. But I had a player that was a three and a half for talent, but a five out of five for, for attitude. I'm taking, the, I'm taking that one, you know, I'm taking the latter. And that was my mindset around it. But what I've done is I've come in and been a bit too full on. So my first trial, I was expecting around 40 players to turn up. And then I would cut that down to 16 then to 12. <clears throat> and I had eight players turn up. So I didn't, I didn't have enough players. We need 12 skaters and two goalies to take to the World Championships. I had eight players at a trial. It was just the worst experience, the worst feeling. It was like the, the rink in Sheffield where we run our, where kind of our main training ground. Um, it's quite dusty, but in that environment, when it was like eight players, everything just looked grim. You know what I mean? Every, you, know, you noticed there, it was just, a, it was just a terror. It was like the lights weren't working. Everything was gray and dark. And I was just like, this is the worst thing ever. I, I, it's not how I imagined it to be at all. But we, we sat down with the players, um, some of the core kind of leadership guys and not, not the, the guys I would put in the kind of the, I don't know what, you, what I'd call them, but the, the elite guys, but I had a core group of dependable people and uh, about three or four of them, plus my assistant coach I brought in, my manager, team manager, and a few other people like equipment manager who'd been with the team for years and, and the physio. And we just sat down and, and just kind of rethought the whole thing. And, you know, one thing we didn't have was a purpose going back to, you know, there's one thing winning gold, which is what every team wants to do, but what's our purpose? What are we really trying to do here? And, and I think every business needs to think about that. You know, who are you serving in the world? And we believe that, you know, what if Great Britain could not just stay in Pool B, but win Paul B and go up into the top eight countries of the world, you know, what, what would that do? And that would inspire young players to re-engage with the game and so on. So that became more purpose-led and the players started to buy into this idea of looking, acting and feeling like a Paul A team. You know, what do, what do they look like? Canada, USA, Czech Republic, Sweden, uh, you know, just more athletic, better equipment, sponsorships, training more, you know, just really thinking reverse engineering from that. And, it was kind of, I, I talk about the leaning in, you know, it's like the locker room started leaning into this idea of like, well, you've kind of got my attention now. Because they, they're excited by that, you know, this idea of looking at and feeling like a Paul A player. And, uh, and the long and short of it was the, and also we, we were sponsored by S3 at the time. And S3 had four values, respect, energy, rapport, reward. And we introduced that into the locker room and what does energy mean? What does respect mean? What does rapport mean? And so on. We started using these words. I think we got more value out of those values than, than S3 did, actually, if I'm honest. I think we, we, we really embraced it. Like, if you ask any player, well, I think they are. I think they got rid of them. I'm not sure. But for us, I'm like, if you ask any player on the team between 2010 and 2014, what were the values? They'll go, energy, respect, rapport, reward. They'll just say it over and over again because we understood what it meant in the locker room. And you've got to win the locker room first if you're going to win the game. And, and business is no different. You've got to win your team and and you need clarity of vision you need clarity of purpose 
Um, you've got to embrace embrace the uh, ask, don't tell. You know, how do you get your players? Like I'd never played on a GB team that had beaten Austria before. You know, so how was I, you know, all of a sudden I had to have the, the answers to this. But actually, there were guys on the team that had played several times against Austria whilst I'd been out of the game for a few years and, and said, look, there, there's some ways we can do this. And we started to work with that idea and we changed the tactics in a very different way of playing, which meant we had to work on a different skill set. And, and it just, the players just started changing their, the way they thought. Same players, just different, different behaviours, same competition even. And so we'd gone from losing to Australia in 2010 to beating them 12-3 following year we looked like a pool a team i mean we dominated australia which is always kind of a goal for us anyway because like any because the rivalry is so so high you want to beat the aussies so um and they always let you know when they win so you know you you want to kind of take it to them so so that was kind of a big focus but the big focus was how do we beat austria and i talked about this a lot when i was at s3 you know i, I gave an example of having a goal and but um and having the right tactics and uh it was always coming back to if we're going to win pool B, we're going to be Austria. And we'd never done that before. It was always like a five or six goal difference between us and them. They were like a pool A team. It was a, just a different level. They were pro, you know, all pro ice guys that would come across. Oh my guys, amateur. Anyway, we beat them and uh, we beat Hungary in the final. We went up to the top eight countries in the world. We beat, played the Czechs first game in the world championship. We tied with them and beat Finland and just had this amazing experience, um, like a fantasy, really. You couldn't, you couldn't imagine it. It was the sort of thing you might sit around talking about like imagine if we played Finland one day and beat them you know and it, and it was they did it happened and, and uh, we ended up playing Canada in the final we lost to sorry quarter final we lost to Canada in the quarter final but we believed that we were going to beat Canada that was the great thing about it everyone went into that game going you know what we're going to beat Canada today and the worst thing for Canada was that they thought it as well because they'd seen our goalie was just hot like he was just so good he was on a 99% save average against Finland my best man was on the team so best man at my wedding he's the godfather of my my daughter, um, he, he was the captain of Team Canada, Kirk French. And he said it was just the worst 24 hours of their lives for them. Like this, the idea that we're gonna play Great Britain. They've just beaten Finland. Their goal is amazing. We're not playing well. How on earth are we, you know, losing to Great Britain in the quarterfinal of the world championships would be the worst thing for Canada, you know, because then, uh, but you know, it was, and it was a good game that um, they, it was definitely a Canada versus GB game in the end, and you know they, they uh, took it away. But um, but that idea, you know, looking back on that, just that experience that if you if you get the behaviours right, the culture right, you can just do amazing things. If the purpose, if you can galvanise people around a common purpose, um, and I've seen it in business. I've seen it. You know, businesses do it really well. Businesses struggle to do it when they at scale. But you could argue that S three managed to do that because they never really deviated from the values you know that people would say it's a terrible place to work well it's a terrible place for you to work because you don't like it but for the people that absolutely love it it's an amazing place to work yeah you know it doesn't mean it's wrong or right all right there might be some things going on behaviors that 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 maybe you could frown you would frown upon and but you see it in any organization you know certain leadership behaviors or anything that's you know so culturally it it, it never flip-flopped you know, S3, it, it was very clear, this is who we are, you know, this is our DNA. Um, and I think there's a lot to be said for that. You know, you want the dynamic, you want a you want dynamic group, you don't want group to think, you don't want it to be too, too much of the same. Um, but you can have a really dynamic dressing room, you can have some real misfits, if you want, in a dressing room, 
But if they're all aligned on their values and a common purpose, you, you do very well. You know, yeah. kind of the money ball thing. It is. And, you know, I actually think there's something magical about that. And the fact that you could have the number of people in your team who could all regale that those exact same um, values, even now, um, one would argue, and I don't know, maybe you, you do know the answer, they probably take that into their recreational worlds as well, don't they? And they live by those same values to a certain extent. And if they are true to those, that can only create individual high performance as well as team. Oh, I, 100%. And I think you, you could see that and I know we use Nestor as an example, any organization, you know, if you say to yourself, um, I'm not going to build great recruiters here. That's not my objective as a leader. What I'm going to do is take people on a journey where they can develop, learn new skills, skills that they can apply anywhere in the world, leadership skills, even for a rookie consultant. And, and, and over the next five years or two years, or however long they're in the business for, that they're going to have an amazing experience that they'll never forget. And if they, if they become amazing recruiters as well, and, and make money for the business, brilliant. But if we focus on that, and that, that was my goal with Team GB, I wanted to take the group because I realized that I was too focused on results, too focused on my agenda, actually, to be the coach that wins gold, you know, yeah. versus could I take these, in some cases, what were kind of boys to men, I know it sounds a bit cliche, but they went on a journey, you know, and I talked about this in Manage the Miss, my first book, that, that even then millennial or Gen Y um, were getting a hard time you know, and millennials are getting even more of a hard time. But I've seen guys throw their bodies in front of pucks for their teammates, you know. I mean, they're, they're like faces, you know, they're kind of diving <laughs> desperate to win the game. And that to me isn't how I hear people describing millennials and, and Gen Y. I, for me, they were absolutely committed and, and the work ethic and the effort they put in. But you, as leaders, you've got your, your, to build trust with the locker room. And I really like the trust equation where it's, reliability credibility plus intimacy you know the connection over self-orientation so as a coach head coach you've got to be credible you've got to be reliable and you've got to have a really good connection with your players you know which is what i think sir alex ferguson had in massively you know through his mentoring and uh and then but over orientation so my, my orientation initially where the trust was disconnected was because it they, they probably smelt that it was towards me Silito just wants to win the gold medal. He's the head coach who wants to win the gold medal. But when I started to go, no, it's not about me. It's about you. It's about your journey, your experience, and how you experience this. You're giving up 10 days of your life to play in Dresden versus being in Ibiza with the lads for 10 days. You're making that choice, right? Because we're amateur players, you know? So, so I wanted them to have a, just an experience. And, and I, you know, it gives me hair, hairs go up on the back, but they still call me coach today, you know, the players. So they'll, you know. And that means a lot. I can imagine it does. And I, and I think to, to use the football analogy, um, I'm, a, I'm a Spurs fan. So Likewise. You would, uh, yes, of course you are. Uh, so we would look at Jose in the, yeah. in the context of what you just said there and probably correctly assume that he went into Spurs as he did Man United, as he did Chelsea. Um, yeah with his own personal agenda. And this was about Jose winning a, something at the end yeah. of it. Um, yeah. It was like, I'll show you. I can do it. I can even do it with Spurs. You know, let me show you, you know. And, um, yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um, and, and you'll know this far more than I will, Andrew, but we start to see um, businesses now, which are you know, much more like the Alex Ferguson's 
than they are the the, the Jose's. Is that fair now? Yeah, but I, I I think people had a misconception because I think sometimes people put Sir Alex Ferguson in the in the kind of nineteen eighties barking at players category. But how does this red faced angry Scotsman who's shouting at his players be considered a father figure by every single player on the team? You know, and and it's because of his generosity of time. You know, one of the things we talk about on the leadership program is is bench coach daily, train weekly, mentor monthly. If you can't do the training, delegate it and find someone that can. But make sure that you're 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 giving you're acknowledging good work every day. But that mentoring conversation once once a month, which isn't about KPIs, isn't about the numbers, it's just about the person. And then you start to understand what motivates and drives these people. That mentoring comp, and we're only talking about 12 a year, right? You know, 12 comp 12, one hour, everyone deserves that in your business. And and I think that's what Sir Alex Ferguson managed to do very well, you know, that he had that that relationship, he knew exactly um what what motivated, you know, he talks about the arm around the shoulder versus the kick up the ass, you know, who who needs what? Um, you know, a role model, accountability, you know, the, the story of the players agreeing that if they're going to win a Champions League, then they wouldn't go to the clubs, they would be seen out, they wouldn't go drinking, you know. So then when Sir Alex Ferguson heard that they were in the club partying, you know, literally going, turning up, going into that club and pulling them out one by one, you know, himself, is a is a true story, but metaphorically, it's it it's what every leader needs to be able to do. They need to have that permission to 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 drag people away from you know and hold them accountable, and um, you can only do that if you ask the players where are we heading, and how do we need to show up every day to be able to do that, you know, to win that. And and in business, if you ask that question, what are we trying to achieve here? whether it's X million or um, to, to, to change the, the kind of the, the world through it, you know, make a dent in the universe using the Steve Jobs type purpose. Um, and then asking your team, right, well, how, how do we need to show up every day? You know, how do, I, how do we know we're above the line or below the line? You know, and how do, I, how do I hold you accountable to that when I see it? In fact, how do we hold each other accountable and have permission to say, come on, that, you need to be better than that? That's when you've got a high-performing team, when you've got every player that can look each other in the eye and say, come on, mate, you're better than that. Okay, well, here we go then. What are your three non-negotiable characteristics that people must show when working in your team? So the, the one that I, I'm, I'm a bit careful with, because I, I put a post out last year, and, and I suppose all these you know polarizing is, is a good thing in some ways but I don't tolerate laziness I can tolerate poor performance like a skill issue I can I can tolerate a bad pass a bad shot you know if it if it's coming if it if it, there was effort in there if it was a lazy if they approached it in a lazy way that irritates me if if they behave in a certain way if they they don't put the effort in I was um, coaching a team a couple of years ago and I, it was a particular, you know, we, we just needed to be really strong fit and I had commitment from the players and, and just one or two of them didn't. And I was, I felt really let down by that, you know, so I, I feel I get let down. I have to be careful of that when, because I was always the one that was putting that extra effort in training. I was always the one that was training harder and, you know, I tried to role model that uh, and I, and uh, so I have to be careful. I don't put my gender on it, but, but I do believe that it goes back to what we were saying earlier about regrets, you know, Effort, effort, do the work, 
just do the work you know so i have four values essentially that i that i talk about one is do the work second one is make no excuses you know we've all got the inner voice you know we have to we have to manage it we have to acknowledge it those excuses will manifest we are humans are looking for the safer option so we have to manage the inner voice and no, no excuses so do the work no excuses speak the truth just be honest you know be honest with me be honest with how you know what's getting in your way be honest with me about where you think how you're feeling and when i say speak the truth you mean i've got to tell you everything no you don't tell me everything please don't tell me everything. <laughs> just just the stuff that i need to know like sometimes they come to me and they tell you know and i didn't need to know that um and then the uh the, the fifth one is fourth, sorry fourth one is always ready always be ready and what i mean by that is make choices today that will serve you better tomorrow so i don't know about you simon but you know drinking is a is a, just a good example because everyone can relate to it uh, if you want to start fast on a monday morning it's probably best not to get you know smashed on a friday night uh, and for me that if i did that it would still be thursday it'd be thursday morning by the time i start to come to life so the following week but I, what my point is that you know choices that we make and this came from me i was suffering really bad with inflammatory arthritis and you know i wasn't able to play with my kids the way i wanted to and and i was i realized i was making dietary choices that i shouldn't be doing and and alcohol played a, a role in that i never really had an alcohol problem but i always say my problems came from alcohol majority of them anyway um but i just didn't like the way it was making me feel and and then i started kind of taking tactical breaks and and then productivity went up and and i started looking at it from all different areas of my life in fact this idea of always being ready what if i what if i overtrain you know and i i do too much and that was which was a problem for me that i'd be fatigued all the time that i wasn't able to didn't have the energy because i was one of those guys well if i'm going to go cross fit i'm going to leave everything in there you know i'm tearing my hands i'm doing everything i can and then starting to think well, why am i doing that you know it, i need some i need to leave some stuff in the tank for my family for my work for myself you know um so high performance when you look at it from that perspective isn't just about being all in it's about you know being able to have a kind of a holistic perspective of our lives you know and and i know that that word you wouldn't have used that word s3 you know, 10 years ago holistic so you know it's a bit fluffy um but yeah. I, I generally think now people are saying you know what i do want to think of my life across these like the four key you know the four areas and 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 see how I'm showing up in those four areas, and, and and find some find some balance there, and it might mean sacrificing leaving something on the table, you know, over the next ten years, as long as I achieve what I say I set out to achieve. But I don't want to go all in on my business for ten years, dedicate it, and say to my wife, look, I'll see you in ten years, and say to my body that you know, look, we'll we'll pick it up when I when I've achieved the the business goals, you know, because I'll have no one, no one to share it with. Two, I'll be spending my money on medical bills, you know, whatever it is. So let's get there in the best possible way. <clears throat> and I think um, that's starting to really resonate with people. I think um, it comes back to that sort of sense of relentlessness, which certainly I've felt, and I use that word quite a bit at the moment. Um, and I don't use that as a badge of honor, by the way. I, I use that with a sense of dissatisfaction and that might not even be the right word it's like that is how I feel my life is at the moment and almost like life might be to a certain extent uh, unless I've misinterpreted it which I could may well have done and I think there's a 
definitely with, with myself a point where I think, but I've, I have got to keep going because I can't afford to slip behind. Um, now, as a yeah. performance coach, you might go, that resonates entirely. And, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. let's have another conversation around what we can do to help you with that. But that that's, I, I do sense that many people feel like that. And there's nothing high performing about that. I don't think because I continue to keep going, possibly the reason why I sound a little bit like I do at the moment. It, um, yeah, yeah. I can see be. that as, yeah. I don't think I'm a high performer as a result of doing it at all. I think it's probably something I'm definitely <laughs> not doing as a result of it. Um, but I well, feel it's what you're not doing, isn't it? Yeah, it's a really good point. So, you know, people say, oh, sports, you know, how can I get my people to think like sports and athletes and Olympic athletes, you know, Olympic year, my business goes up massively because everyone wants to kind of get into that um, Olympic mindset. And I'm like, an Olympic athlete is training 95% of the time. They're eating, resting. When they're not training, they're laying down. They're just, they're doing everything they can to rest their body and eat the best possible food. They get bored and they, you know, and, and they have to try and find ways to entertain themselves. And, but in business, you're in the game every day, you know. So, so the, bringing in, you know, I think we do have to keep going. I think that's the thing, isn't it? We, we have to keep going. We're, you know, life is hard. It's tough. It's kind of like we suffer. We, you know, it's just that bloody difficult. And so we do have to keep going. But keep keeping going is also incorporating downtime. It's saying, you know, I'm scheduling in a morning to myself. I'm going to make sure I have my 30 minute walk. I'm going to have a really good morning routine so that I, I have a good platform for the day and I'm going to have a good process for that. And, and I'm going to stick to that and that and I'm going to eat the right food. And, you know, when we do those sort of things, then we're far more li like likely to avoid burnout and overwhelm. Um, so it, it's just about taking you know if, you, if you're trying to build out your pipeline and sales then take recharging and everything else as seriously as that you know if you're scheduling bd time scheduling recharging time you know you've got to do both and, and that's what the pros do they do both they, they're able to do both and, and that's the thing you hear these like, like i spoke to grant cardone the other day you know who's the kind of the 10x guy you know you know never burns out you know put a thing out about how he he's not a candle he'll never burn out burnouts for wimps you know all that kind of stuff bravado stuff but what he doesn't tell you that he's meditating every day he's he's spiritually grounded you know he's he's on the bike every day um he makes time for his family you know and so the, you don't hear that side of the story with these high performing you know the elon musks and these guys that work in they're, they're going on silent retreats for for two weeks they're doing all this stuff but we see the work ethic and we, and we think, well, if, that, if that's what it takes, then I've got to do that. And um, so it's a, we're a bit misguided, I think, in some ways. And it's a shame in some ways that those people to whom many of us aspire don't share yeah. the fact that they also yeah. have this other side. Or, or believe that it's the only way, you know, yeah. you know, and, um, you know, we've seen a lot of casualties. I mean, Tony Shea is a great example of someone who just lost his way. So, you know, the CEO, um, Oh gosh, I've put myself on the spot now. But the shoe company, Zappos, you know, passed away last year. I mean, you know, who we held up in high esteem as a, the CEO of, you know, just brilliance and the culture he created. But clearly, there were some things going on for him that that he wasn't sharing. You know, and so so we've got to be careful who we follow in this world. And and you know, the kind of Instagram life of everything's rosy and happy and brilliant it isn't always the case. In fact, 
majority of the time it isn't the case at all. Agreed. Well, look, Andrew, mindful of time, um, I have one final question for you. Okay. Which I think you're going to like. Well, at least I'm going to yeah. like the answer anyway. Um, what would you tell the 16-year-old Andrew Silito? Yeah, that's a, that's a good one. I saw that. that um, do you know what? I, I, was, I could say so many different things. I'd probably work on my calf muscles earlier on. <laughs> just that's it. We got it. Uh, um, sorry, let me just um, end that. Uh, sorry, a call was coming through. Um, joking aside, I would invest and not, not necessarily in property, but I, if I knew that then what I know now, and actually my mum was a PA in a, in a trading company. Uh, and I, I suppose I would be, I would, I'd approach, I'm trying to get advice and say, look, I'm, I'm making a little bit of money here. I think my first job, I was earning about 450 quid a month and selling futon beds and making them. And uh, I just think, mate, what if I'd put 50 quid a week, 50 quid a month away into some sort of investment? Even if it was bonds, I don't know, but because I'm not very, I'm not risk adverse at all. I would have quite got excited by the idea of putting it in different places. Maybe just doing that. I think I, there's that. Um, Play the long game. I think that's the other thing. Very impatient. My father died at, when I was 16. So it was quite a poignant time. You know, my, my dad was 48. He died at a sudden heart attack, just dropped dead. And I was very close to my dad. Um, so it made me think, right, I'm, I'm not going to waste any time on this planet. I'm going all in. I'm going to do something I don't really understand just to make money and die. I'm going all in my hockey. I'm, you know, but in the same way, that traumatic experience made me um, restless. So I didn't want to waste any time. And, but I, I, I was very short-sighted, you know, panicky. Uh, I wanted a quick results, instant gratification. And I think um, with the, the company that I'd created, the summer camps and all that kind of stuff, I wonder what that would look like today if I'd played the long game with it. Mm-hmm. You know? Sound advice. Sound advice. And you know, interestingly, that advice, if you think about what the, the two things that you just said there, have nothing really to do with, directly at least, that the high performance leadership stuff that 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 you practice and and you know yeah about true stuff. although i think if i go full circle you know losing my dad at you know as a business owner i think that's where the four keys has kind of found its purpose you know so I've, i feel like i've become more entrepreneurial now because you know you've, you've interviewed mike and mike's doing an amazing job with the team head coach program and so i know now that i've that, that's a business that's growing the four keys program is growing and i'm building something and uh, and, and it feels very much purpose-led and, and helping business owners, you know, s- scale without, without burning themselves out or um, making those kind of areas, having a support network. So, and that's something I, I care passionately about. And it's shone through in this, in this conversation and it really has. I've absolutely thoroughly enjoyed it. And as I said before, we'd uh, even press record. I, I suspect um, when we're allowed to, and you're over here um, back seeing your, um, your, your friends and your family in the UK, we should go for a beer. And I, I pretty much imagine yep. we can talk about I'll this. join you for a, what we call here in the Prague is a Nelco alcoholic beverage. Yeah, so I'll, yeah, I'll happily have a non-alcoholic beer or it might be a coffee, but yeah, absolutely. One or the other. Andrew, where can people <laughs> listening find you? Uh, just go to andrewcilice.com. Yeah, you'll get everything from there. You can find my blog. I blog every day pretty much and on these topics. So yeah, go there, start there. It's the best place to start. Terrific. 
Andrew or Smiler, as your friends call you. <laughs> Cheers, Simon. Yeah. Thank you ever so much. Thoroughly enjoyed that and we'll speak to you soon. Nice one. Cheers, mate. See ya. It's odd to think, isn't it, that, that some people might be born into this world to become natural leaders. Um, but I get the impression that Andrew was. Everything that he does, the way he leads his life, uh, the way he conducts himself, the way he speaks, um, is all about leadership. And you can imagine that working with him be very, very, very inspirational on a daily basis. Um, what I particularly enjoyed was his reference to no regrets. And it's a, it's a phrase I think that many people sort of say they have. I lead a life with no regrets, but do they really? Um, I think the way that he delivered that is the most authentic example of leading a life with no regrets and showing up, showing up, leaving everything on the pitch and knowing that when you go back in that locker room, you've got no regrets. And I think that for me is, um, is really one of the true measures of great leadership. And in addition to that, we spoke about credibility, we spoke about reliability, and we spoke about honesty. Um, and of course, hard work, which I think underpins most leaders. But from, from my point of view, that no regrets, um, leaving everything on the pitch is, is really what came out of that session. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope it's uh, offered a period of reflection for you and something you can take both recreationally and commercially moving forward. Um, thank you for listening and uh, we'll speak soon.